Uh, today is the first Sunday after Advent, and it's a day when the church across the world celebrates the baptism of our Lord, the baptism of Jesus. And we just had that reading from Matthew's gospel, providing an account of that event. And a few verses before that, we have uh, John, John the Baptist, appearing on the scene in the wilderness uh, and proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John is uh, someone who's, who's described in, earlier in Matthew's gospel in this very chapter as, as the one whom the prophet Isaiah had, had, had spoken of, uh, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. See, John is calling the people of Israel to repent and to be baptized. And in the exchanges that happen in the first part of, of this chapter, John is baptizing the people of Jerusalem and Judea and, and the regions that surround the River Jordan after they have confessed their sins. But some of the people that come for baptism, John is struggling to believe that they're coming in true repentance. And so I'm going to read some of the previous part of this chapter just to get us uh, in, the, in, the, in kind of the sense of what's really happening. And, and, and it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, and therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So setting the scene for Jesus' baptism, we have snakes. Rocks, fire, trees, axes, and a road. Okay, we've got the snakes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, as John calls them, not really living in true repentance, really kind of trying to escape the bonfire as they start to feel the heat. We've got a tree threatened to be cut down by an axe because it's not bearing good fruit. And a tree that's going to be replaced by new trees that have come from stones. And of course, we've got this road. This road which John is calling people to make ready, to prepare for the king. And John carries on in verses 11 and 12 that he baptizes with water for repentance. For the one who is coming after is more powerful. One whom he is not worthy to carry his sandals. Because this one, Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the granary and he will take the chaff and he will burn it with unquenchable fire. This, this is the king that John is pointing to. One who is going to come and judge all 
and he will clear away the chaff and he will store away the wheat. The chaff, he will set ablaze. He's going to come with an axe and he's going to chop down any tree that isn't bearing good fruit. And again, he's going to burn it. He's going to set it on fire. This is the backup. The backdrop behind Jesus. It's the introduction of Jesus. I don't know how many of you like boxing. But I used to watch a bit of boxing. And before every fighter comes out to the ring, there's this, this kind of introduction. And some of them are rather elaborate. And some of them are very simple. And it might go something like um, in the blue corner, wearing black, weighing in at 154 pounds, 15 knockouts to his name, the undefeated, the one, the only, Dave Hen. Right? But when Dave comes into the ring, and you say, well, he's not wearing black. <laughs> and, and you can judge for yourself whether he's clearly over 154 or under 154. But you're like, well, that introduction didn't quite make sense. Is he undefeated? Because those things we can't take as true. Is he really the one and the only? So there's this kind of disconnect with that. But the introduction that John gives for Jesus is 100% accurate. But the how it's interpreted is different to how it's actually going to be lived out, how it will be as the days proceed. See, Jesus is arriving on the scene he is the king. He is the one that John has been telling everyone about and telling them to prepare a road for him. But instead of having judgment and, and this show of strength as the four, we get humility. We get empathy. We get sensitivity. He is putting himself, Jesus is putting himself in the place of Israel, in the place of the people. He is claiming that all that has been said about him before is true. It is going to come to pass, but he's turning it on its head. He's saying, I'm going to do all of these things, but it has to be done a different way than you're actually expecting it to be done. Jesus, he comes to John and he says, you're going to baptize me. Why? Jesus does not need to be baptized. But because he is identifying with God's people, he chooses to be baptized. It's a, it's a way he's starting out his ministry in the same way that he is going to complete it, by taking the place of the people. And as we celebrate this baptism of Jesus today, it's a good time for us to be contemplating, reflecting on our own baptism as well as his. Because our baptism, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all if we remove it from the incarnation. Yet Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, God incarnate, he shows us the way. And he's showing us the way from the outset by coming to John for baptism. 
John. John who came to prepare the way, to instruct the people to repent, to enter into confession, and to receive baptism, is now being asked by Jesus to baptize him. The one that John's been pointing to and saying, he is greater than I am. And he's like, and now you're coming to me for baptism? It's like paraphrasing. John's like, get out. No. But Jesus is saying, actually, John, yes. This is how it needs to be. We should be really as shocked that Jesus is asking for baptism as John is in this text. Even though we know what happens next, even though we know the rest of the story, we should still be as shocked that Jesus is asking for baptism. Jesus is asking. And yet we know that baptism comes after repentance. But Jesus has no sin, never has any sin, never will have any sin, and so has no need to repent, and so has no need to be baptized. But because of the incarnation, because he has come down to earth to be with us, to be like us, to be able to relate to us as much as possible, he shows us the way by coming for baptism regardless. Jesus tells John that's how it's got to be. And John, being the good servant that he is, says, okay. And so in all of that, there's a couple of things that I just want to kind of dig into that I've been building up to. And firstly, it is that here, at this point of the story of Scripture, this is the only point at which we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the same place at the same time explicitly stated. You have the Son in the water, you have the, the Spirit descending like a dove, and you have the voice of the Father. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see all three named at the same event in the same time. Yes, we get correlations. Yes, we can identify um, that they are all in the same place at other times, always. But it's never explicitly stated like it is here at this point. And I want to echo that there's a, such a similarity between the, the story of Genesis and Jesus' baptism. Because we have the Spirit hovering over the water. And we have the voice of the Father. You see, the, the, the Spirit hovering over the water in the form of a dove, it's a picture of new creation. This is a picture of a new beginning, a new creation. But that symbolism of the dove, which is peace, is actually speaking volumes to say, it's going to be done in a different way than you think. And to connect that 
that, that's that idea of new creation. I want to say that the, the River Jordan, think about what that is to the people and the history as the people had to cross the River Jordan in order to get to the promised land. And here the people are going through the River Jordan once again after repentance, into baptism, and then to new life. And so we've not only got this idea of new creation, we've got this picture of what new creation will look like, how, we're gonna, how, how there's going to be this new promised land. And if we link all of that, the coming through the water of baptism, and we're reminded in the baptism liturgy of the parting of the Red Sea, and how the people of Israel went through the Red Sea in order to escape Pharaoh. We too go through the waters of baptism in order to leave behind our old life and sin and enter into what is new. But as Israel went through the Red Sea, what happened on the other side? They received the law. They received the law and they received uh, the, the sonship, if you will, of God. And here, as Jesus goes through the water of baptism and he comes up out of the water, what is the first thing that's heard? You are my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is embodying Israel, but in a new way because there is this new law that comes with the new promise. So as you contemplate your baptism in the light of all of this as you reflect on your having been welcomed into the body of Christ been accepted as a child of God being reminded of all that that means and the love that he has for you that comes through baptism and the word Baptism and the word is what, what points to our salvation. It's what Luther spells out in his small catechism as he attributes the efficacy of baptism. And he says it's baptism to the word of God in and with the water. It's both and. It's in and with. Water is essential for life, isn't it? We can't live without it. But water alone cannot give life eternal. It needs the word of God to be with it. And so as the band are going to come back up and, and lead us in, in a response to, to help us in preparing to remember this, this culmination of Jesus' ministry. We just reflected on the start how he identified with the people, how he took the place of the people. And we're about to come into the sacrament of, of Holy Communion where we're going to really dig into the end of his life and how he again took our place on the cross. I want to give everyone the opportunity to spend time in confession, to repent, because the time is now at hand. Jesus came to reconcile sinners. He welcomes every one of us who is penitent. 
And he offers us grace, he offers us mercy, and he offers us peace. So as I conclude today, and as the band then start to lead us uh, through this time of reflection and into our time of remembrance, if you want to take up that opportunity to, to come and be prayed over, then I'm going to be available. Other people will be available if you don't care, want to come forward, but you just make yourself known, people will come to you. But if there's something that's stopping you from kind of coming and, and kind of confessing to another, then you know, that's what James tells us we should do. Scripture points us to, to speak those words because if we don't speak those words, then that, they can hold power over us. But if there's something that is just stopping you today, then I invite you simply to pray with me now and just repeat in your heart the words that I'm going to pray. So my God, for love of you, I desire to hate and forsake all sin. All sin by which I have ever displeased you. I resolve by the help of your grace to commit them no more and to avoid all opportunities of sin. Lord, help me to do this through Jesus Christ, our Lord.